Assalamualaikum. This is Wednesday, the 9th of February, 2022. And uh, in our series, Reflections on the Holy Quran, this is broadcast number 300. We thank Allah that uh, He gave me the strength to bring to you my thoughts, share to you my thoughts about the message of the Holy Quran over a prolonged period. And uh, these days we are looking at the meaning of the words of chapter 2 Al-Baqarah verse 98 and this is the fifth broadcast in that series. And uh, um, for the last three days, we've been looking at the meaning and importance and interpretation of just three words of, uh, sorry, three days, looking at the meaning and interpretation of one word of the Holy Quran over three days. And even that is not enough, but uh, anyway, we uh, can't ignore the rest of the Holy Quran. Just to remind you that uh, these broadcasts are brought to you by the Lahore Emdia community, which was created by Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed of Badian, who uh, taught us that although other people say that a prophet can come after the Holy Prophet Muhammad, this is not possible because the Holy Quran says that the Holy Prophet is Khatmun Nabiyyin and the Holy Prophet explained that by saying La Nabi Abadi. So now no prophet will come, an old one or a new one. However, it is obvious that from time, from time to time, the Ummah will need guidance. And for that guidance, God will raise reforms. And of course, when they try and they reform the, uh, the Ummah, this will lead to some differences of opinion. But the Holy Prophet, but, but uh, uh, yes, the Holy Prophet Muhammad had said, and Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad pointed this out very strongly, that the Holy Prophet Muhammad وسلم, had said that if one reciter of the Kaliba says to another reciter of the Kaliba, you're not a Muslim, you're a heretic, then this edict of heresy returns to the person who issued it. We need to think about this very carefully because on shortest disagreements, smallest disagreements, we start declaring each other prophets and heretics and out of pale of Islam. This is a very serious matter. 
Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed also told us that uh, although some people say that some prophetic revelation has been has not been included in the Holy Quran, this is not correct. People say, I Rajim Surah Walayat, I'm missing from the Holy Quran. This is incorrect. All prophetic revelation is in the Holy Quran. And then, Hazrat also taught us that others say some verses of the Holy Quran have been abrogated. This is untrue. No verse of the Holy Quran was, is, or ever shall be abrogated. See, God has said that I've revealed it and I'll be its guardian. So how can these things be correct? And, of course, jihad is a fundamental duty of every single Muslim. But jihad as defined by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, not as defined by some Maulana or some Mufti or somebody. Returning from fighting, the Holy Prophet Muhammad said, from the minor jihad, we now return to the major jihad. And then he went on to explain that major jihad is jihad bin nafs, a struggle against your own self, against your own desires and so on. But that does not mean that if there is a need to defend yourself, with the sword that you don't do so. If need be, that you need to fight for your survival, then you have to do it. So, let us go to the verse for today. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeeb Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Man Kana Adum Wallillahi Wa Malah Ikatihi wa rusulihi wa jibreela wa mikaala fa inna allaha adunvul lil kafirin Whoever is an enemy to Allah and his angels and his messengers and Gabriel and Michael then surely Allah is an enemy to such disbelievers. And we are discussing the meaning of the word or we are discussing the word Malaikatihi. Malaikatihi. Now, <clears throat> there are three segments in this. Wa, 
which is a connecting word and he which is a pronoun so the main word is in the middle malikati and its triliteral root is meem lam kaf and words made from that root that occur in the holy quran there are 206 of them and um, there are 10 different words in the holy quran which are made from this root so 88 times we find the word malak and 48 times we find the word mulk and 44 times we find the word malakat 15 times we find the word malik and then other occurrences are less frequent such as once we find malik and then once we find mulk etc and we've been looking at this for uh, the last yes this word for the last uh, few days and uh, <clears throat> today what i want to do is i want to have a look at uh, a particular use of this word because that phrase and expression is misused by muslims and it has people have used it to criticize islam and cast islam in a bad light and uh, if that was the uh, real meaning these words then you could understand why people would uh, <clears throat> cast islam in a bad light uh, if the word is uh, used in 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 that way uh, because it is misused it's misused by mostly by men for their own uh, uh, how can one say um, evil satisfy their own carnal desires and 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 so on um, yeah. but uh, of course the critics of islam then use such things to uh, um, cast doubt on islam's uh, truthfulness and uh, everything else seem to have got my 
notes into a disorder and I'm looking for the uh, <clears throat> the notes on the word that we are supposed to discuss. We have used, there are in fact two roots or you can say there is a disagreement on uh, um, what the root of this word is. One root of course is um, <clears throat> Yeah, I'm looking at the wrong place. Here we are. One root, of course, is what I said, Meem Lam Kaf. And the other one is considered to be Hamza Lam Kaf. The one root means um, uh, <clears throat> uh, to control something, to be someone's boss. Be, you know, words like Malik and, and, and so on come uh, from uh, that. But uh, the uh, other root means to convey a message, messenger, as is said. So, of course, Angels bring God's messages to us and so they bear, they are God's, Malaik, they are his message bearers. <clears throat> now, what we want to talk about is the expression Ma Malakat Eimanukum. Literally it means those whom your right hands possess and that is that someone that you control it, it's like the english expression uh, he's my right hand but in arabic it means those whom you control, those who are your subordinates, those who have to work in accordance with what you say. So everyone, whether you're at the office or whether you're at home, who obeys you, then come under that category. Your chauffeur, your butler, your servants, whatever, they all come under in that category. Secondly, this word is used for women who are your wives, who entered into marriage with you. So in Surah Nisa, there's a long list of women that you can't marry, after which it says, Wal-mukhsanatu minan nisai illa ma malakat aimanukum. 
So you can't marry those except Moksanak. So what does Moksanak mean? Well, it can mean, sometimes it's translated as chaste women. So you could say that it means that from chaste women, except those that you marry, others it is unlawful to have relations with. But some people says that <laughs> say that Mosanath means married women. Then this verse will translate that women you are already married, it's unlawful to marry them except the slave girls that you possess, already possess. Remember, this is past tense. This is not about uh, present or the future and, and, and so on. Now, the point about it was this, that uh, there are certain things that under all laws, whether it's an English family law or whatever family law it is, there are certain things that automatically end a marriage. For example, you know, if you live in UK, you have a wife there, you go to Malaysia and you get married there again. And you think, oh, well, that marriage is in, is in England, this marriage is in Malaysia. No, 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 no. Your Malaysian marriage, if that's the second marriage, is automatically invalid and that's what this verse is 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 uh, talking about i'll come to the detail in a minute or the 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 reverse you go to malaysia you marry someone or you go to kenya i don't know where marry someone there you leave them there you come back to the uk and you marry here and you think, oh, that's okay. This is my wife in England. That's my wife in Kenya or outside England. It doesn't work that way. Your marriage in the UK is automatically invalid. There doesn't have to be any divorce or anything. Now, sometimes what would happen is that... Um, Girls from Mecca, women from Mecca, would be taken as prisoners. Or for some reason they would run from Mecca and go to Medina and live amongst uh, among the Muslims. And if they then embraced Islam, then their marriage to their non-Muslim husband would be automatically invalid and terminated. There doesn't have to be any divorce or anything. But the Holy Quran says that, you know, if such women come to you and this is what they want, they want to stay with you, don't return them back. And if they have husbands, tell them what they spent on the marriage. Reimburse them 
And because these girls have embraced Islam, then the previous marriage is automatically terminated, nothing else has to be done and you are allowed to enter into a marriage, into a nikah with them. So it may be that the expression means such women and it wasn't uncommon because remember <clears throat> women were given many rights that didn't exist previously. For example, if a person died, everything he had was passed on as his, as his estate and that included his wives. Now, a third interpretation of this phrase <clears throat> means slave girls. Now what you have to understand is this, that before the advent of Islam, all over the world it was common for people to have slaves, men and women. And it was the same in Arabia. And uh, the Holy Quran allowed them, and in fact it, it forbade Muslims for refusing this, that if a slave wanted to enter into a contract of freedom, then a Muslim, the owner, had to agree to it. He couldn't refuse. And if you read the Quran, you find that, you know, one of the best deeds is that you free a slave. Zakat must be used to free slaves. That is, the state will go to people, buy the slaves they have, and uh, freedom. Now, but the point is this, if one day a law had been passed, you don't have slaves anymore, so people would have said, well, yes, okay, fine. I was housing you, I was feeding you, I was clothing you because you were my slave and I thought this was my duty. But I can't have slaves anymore. And if I want you to do something for me, then I have to pay you. So if I have to pay you, why should I provide you with free housing and free food and free clothing? Find yourself somewhere to live. So where would these people go? And that would be the result of sudden implementation. But people who object to that, I point this out to them. There are many, many changes to the laws that the government makes, but it doesn't implement them throughout the whole country immediately. Take the, 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 take the example of universal credit. 
that wasn't implemented overnight throughout the whole country. It was implemented in one particular area to see what problems it will throw up. And then those problems came up and solutions were found to those problems. And then it was implemented in another area and so, to see whether those solutions were effective in that area as well. One problem was that someone would go and apply for universal credit and they would say, oh yeah, that's fine, it'll take six weeks. How the hell am I supposed to live for six weeks? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to, um, um, you know, uh, buy food for my children? Oh, we didn't think of that. What are we going to do? Okay, what we'll do is this. We'll give them a loan to tide them over until their claim for universal credit is approved. And once the claim is approved, it'll be backdated. They'll be paid from the day that they made the application. And then what we'll do is, in installments, we deduct the loan that we've given and so on. So it's the same thing here. Overnight you say no slaves, free everyone and people say okay to these, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 people in, in, in Medina, sorry, find yourself a place to live and earn a living for your food and clothing and so on. How was that going to happen? This is why it was a system was set up so that you gradually implement this thing. Now, the only way that you could make slaves in Islam was people who were taken prisoners in fighting. Other buying and selling was forbidden. As I said, slaves had a right to enter into a treaty of freedom with a master he could not refuse. The state itself was asked to use zakat to buy and free slaves. And generally Muslims were told the best deed is to free a slave. So for fighting, what was said was, I mean, you know, what the Holy Prophet Muhammad did after Badr. He said, okay, you, you guys are rich. You need to pay war reparations. You made war on us. Pay a fine and you can go. You lot, you're educated. So each of you take 10 people, teach them to read and write. And when they can, you'll be free to go. You lot, you don't have money, you don't have education, there's nothing you can give us in return. Okay, we'll let you go anyway. So even after fighting, there weren't going to be any slaves. So when there are no slaves, how does this arise? 
it arise because many Muslim rulers wanted to have loads and loads and loads of women. That's how it arose. So they misinterpreted this verse of the uh, of the Holy Quran so that they could have slave girls. And uh, that was what they did. And this is how Islam came into disrepute in the West. And th th this has been generally the, 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 the story. Uh, this is just one example that, uh, you know, uh, a king would want something. And the best thing is to get it supported by a fatwa. And he would go to Fukaha to get a fatwa. And they would find some excuse. Because they wanted king's favour. They wanted the king to give them land and money and God knows what else. You know, it's no different to, uh, you know, the story of Cardinal Woolsey, Henry VIII, and uh, the Cardinal's dying words, if they are true, when he said, if I'd served my God as well as I served my King, he would not have forsaken me. But obviously, He served his king better and the king abandoned him. And that was the point. You know, they wanted king's favor. They wanted to be in his good, good books so, you know, that he would bestow lands upon them and money and favors and whatever. So they would give fatwas, legal decisions, which uh, allowed the king to have an excuse to make whatever he was going to do Islamic. And this is one such verse where uh, it was said that you can have uh, marital relations with women whom you own as a right of ownership, I guess. Um, and uh, I mean, even Maulana Madhudi says this uh, in his Tafimul uh, Quran when he talks about the Holy Prophet Muhammad and Mary the Cop. And he says that, you know, the Holy Prophet um, had marital relations with her because he was exercising his right, rights as, a, as her master. She'd been sent to him as a present from the king of Egypt, I think. But this is not true. The Holy Prophet freed her, he married Mary the Copt, and so on. So I thought it was worth spending a little time on this expression to try and explain to you 
that what ISIS and others are doing, kidnapping Yazidi girls and um, holding open markets where they're, where these girls are sold and all this kind of thing, is completely barbaric. It's un-Islamic. It's a crime in international law. And it's a crime against humanity and should be punished accordingly. And people demanding this punishment most should be Muslims because it brings Islam into disrepute as well. Anyway, we are a few minutes over our time, so I take my leave of you. With the prayer that whoever you are and wherever you may be, may Allah keep all of you safe and sound and free from harm. Assalamu alaikum, Khuda Hafiz and goodbye.